We're actually going to be back in Romans 12 this morning. Um, and verses 16 and 18 through 21. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not overcome by evil. Be not overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. It's interesting that the, the last Sunday of the year, and we come to the most difficult requirement that God has for his children. Difficult because it makes no human sense. And because it is difficult, many fail to embrace the truths of Romans so far, and more Christians ignore this passage than seem to follow its teaching. And it's very understandable from a human standpoint. Love your enemies. Don't seek revenge. Do them not only... Don't seek revenge, but do good things to them. Meet their needs. It is special that our country, for the most part, as a country, has followed these principles. We have a country that doesn't look, at least in the last uh, 100 years or so, doesn't look to conquer land or take over people, but to fight to keep peace and to keep freedom and to keep it available for others to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. In World War II, we we fought against some of the evilest people imaginable. The Japanese, who treated their own soldiers almost as badly as they treated their enemy, Um, And the German SS, Hitler's elite troops, who were basically, in my thoughts, Germany's criminal element, now in uniform. They seemed to have absolutely no compassion for anyone. But both guilty of committing atrocities, too vile to even talk about, especially on at church on Sunday morning, even though there's plenty of that kind of thing in our Bible. Not Yet when the war was over against these enemies that were so uh, bad, so vile, uh, we attempted, first of all, to bring justice, and then we did what? We ministered. We sought to rebuild these countries. And it wasn't very long that they were, Japan and Germany, were two of the most prosperous countries in the world because we didn't seek revenge. They'd tried that after World War I. didn't work. (laughs) And uh, 
It's also interesting that General MacArthur knew the problem and he knew exactly what would fix it. General MacArthur, after World War II, and he was the whatever you call him, anyway, he's in charge of Japan and, and uh, their political uh, realm at the time. And what do you, what do you call for? Missionaries. The church, the church, send us missionaries. This is what these people need. They need Jesus Christ over here. And that's what he asked for. Send missionaries. Let's keep this from happening again. Unfortunately, we were better at teaching economics and industry than we were biblical truth. And there were few missionaries that went to Japan and very few Japanese became, ever became Christians. I read a story, and we all learned of it, but I read a story uh, years ago when they had that big major earthquake. These people did not know what to do for one another. They would stand by and let others suffer. There was no, like we take for granted, there was no moving in there and helping and get people to the hospital, get, getting them help and everything, That none of that. Something that we take for granted, and yet it wasn't there. And they had to work on that after the earthquake to help people to get organized and to help those that were going through really rough times. The soldiers of our country, like my dad, for the most part went to schools where the Bible was part of the curriculum. Prayer was encouraged, sometimes demanded, <laughs> certainly uh, done. And the teachers were required to be people of character, good role models for their students. It's very interesting. If you read anything about it, the, the teachers in the, in the 1800s and the early 1900s, there's the school board, they demanded a lot of these from these teachers. There were so many things that they couldn't do even outside of the school that if you do this, you're no longer going to be teaching our children. It was good. It was good. But these men and women that were grown up at this time, they treated the enemy prisoners differently than the norm. We have to insert here a disclaimer that uh, our side did do, there did have evil men committing atrocities against prisoners and even sometimes civilians. We don't like to think about that, and that part of history often is played down. But when you read of individual accounts that went through World War II, and I just read one lately that was really interesting. This is brought out, and we know that. We know that all, all people are sinners, and uh, everybody does not know Christ. In fact, uh, uh, even in these men of character, people of character, there were plenty that didn't know Christ as Savior. So that, there was these things, and this is what will be pointed out. But the, for the most part, uh, the overwhelming majority, we treated our prisoners differently. And uh, as soon as they were captured, our men would, and cigarettes was a big thing. Every, almost everybody smoked in those days. And then food given out to them, they were treated almost as friends as soon as they surrendered. Totally different. Japan had no use. Germany, no use. 
the SS for prisoners, and they suffered, and many, many died, especially in Japan. So for the most part, we treat our prisoners humanely. They were fed and housed and given proper medical care. Um, It's interesting, this submarines would pick up survivors after they would they would sink a ship and then they go around and they would look say for Japanese uh, that survived the the uh, sinking of their ship and this one time the submarine picked up two Japanese and most Japanese they had been so taught so brainwashed that they would kill themselves rather than be captured they were told about how evil we were and how they would be tortured because that's what they knew so they would convince their people of that. But anyway, they managed to get these two prisoners, two sailors, and of course they were scared to death. And then after a day or two of the treatment they got, they realized we are eating better and we're getting treated better than we are by our own military. And by the time that submarine got back to Hawaii, their base, which is quite a trip, these men were, these Japanese were so endeared by the rest of the crew, they were trying to plot on how they could keep them. They were used as stewards in the, ma- in, uh, uh, well, mess, <laughs> and meals and things like that. And, of course, they weren't able to. They had to go into prison. But see, the difference, they hadn't experienced that. They hadn't experienced it at all uh, from their country. But our medics would treat wounded Germans the same as they would our own soldiers. And the reason for our country and its people being the greatest in history is simply because Jesus Christ has been named here and freely worshipped here. And it showed in the majority of our soldiers who fought for her. But not only for World War II, but on through. When I was in Vietnam, our chaplain supported orphanages and I went around with him a couple times now don't get me wrong I wasn't a Christian and I didn't care that much other than you know you care a little bit about kids but it got me out of duty so I would go with a chaplain for something else to do and see more of the country Uh, but that wasn't him and so many people that reached out and helped the civilians but uh our, com- our country, Jesus Christ has been named and freely worshipped, and it showed in the majority of soldiers who fought for her. So, as a nation, and of course in Christianity, this shows we, we, we are different towards people that hate us, people that are enemies, people that uh, don't like us. God calls us to live in harmony. And we must start with verse 16, which we've covered. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. As humility is a primary virtue needed to receive from God in order to do what he calls us to do. We have to humbly receive from him. We have to give up that pride that I know and I'll live my life my way and I'll do things my way to Lord what is it that you want for me? What is you want from me? What is it you want me to do, to know? We must also recognize our practical God. As he inserts here in verse 18, if it is possible, if it is possible 
to live at peace with all people, if it is possible. See, God knows it isn't possible to live with everybody peaceably, and he didn't put us under that kind of gun where, no, you just do it regardless. No, it's not a law as under the Mosaic law. If it is possible to live in harmony with some people, we know plenty of lost people that are, by their choice, impossible to get along with. Uh, probably everyone here can start naming names. <laughs> Too many find that in marriage. It's impossible to live with him. It's impossible to live with her. <clears throat> Unfortunately, excuse me, there are those within the body of Christ as well. One commentator writes, let us consider this with reference to believers in Christ. There can be no doubt of the fact that this exhortation has been honored more in the breach than in the obedience. How disastrous has been the splintering of Christendom into a welter of sex. This could not have occurred if men had obeyed what is set before us here. The division can be healed only as men yield obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ. It was true in Paul's day, 1 Corinthians 1, 11 and 12, for it has been declared to me concerning you, my brethren, by those of Chloe's household, that there are contentions among you. Now I say this, that each of you says, I am of Paul, or I am of Apollos, or I am of Cephas, or I am of Christ. It's interesting, I was talking to my grandson about this yesterday, that every error, I think, in the church was pretty much there in Paul's day. You ever think about that? How that helps our faith. When we see this same kind of thing going on today, well, it's nothing new. It was all the way back into Paul. Paul who was given the dispensation of the grace of God, the, finished, the understanding of the finished work of the cross by the Lord himself. And yet people turned away from him, turned away from his truth. And uh, here we see that conflict. I am of Paul, I am of the Cephas, I am Apollos, I am of Christ. But it's true in our day. We're all saddened to know, uh, especially as those of us older, there are two grace fellowships. Well, started with one, and there begin to be two, and each followed a man, and they split. And, and, and through that, there's still, by some of the old guard, there, there, there's anger, there's division. Um, I've Whenever I have the opportunity, whenever this comes up, I have to I, I help them to see, you know, that division isn't there. It's all um, uh, in people's minds. There is no big difference between us. But if that wasn't bad enough, then the King James only sect came along with its leader. And uh, King James only in limited grace. In other words, God can only do so much. You know, and then we have to do the rest, I guess, or just kind of go through life best we can. And then, if that wasn't bad enough, another one of the uh, disciples, I'll use that word because they don't like it, uh, split off from this group, and he became more 
violent in his words, vile, if you will. He started a, a newsletter and, and, the, and the hatred and anger in that letter was so bad, it was a monthly newsletter, that I had to write to him and tell him, don't send this anymore. I, I don't want this in my mailbox. So it still happens today where Christians, brothers in the Lord, brothers and sisters in the Lord, come to anger and, and become enemies of one another. Something that our Lord definitely doesn't want. Too often is not grace doctrine that people object to, but the lack of seeing his grace and truth lived out in the life of those who say they know him. I hear this grace you're talking about, but I'm not seeing it. And how many use that as an excuse to stay away from church? Now, we know that ultimately rests on them and the Lord, not us, but uh, still uh, there's a legitimacy of the loss oftentimes. To, I don't see this Jesus Christ that you're talking about. We're to be a blessing to others. As much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. <clears throat> the responsibility rests on us. Rests on us. We're to do all that we can to bring peace between our, those that are our enemies, that are chosen to be our enemies. The ball is in our court, and we're to keep that ball in the other person's court, like in tennis. All right, in tennis, the object, from what I understand, is you bat the ball over there and you, uh, that person is to bat the ball back. You're the, in tennis, of course, you're, the object is to bat the ball over there to where the opponent can't hit it, and then he loses. In, Jesus, in Christ, we want that ball coming back. Will you forgive me? Yes, I will. But regardless of what the people in the other court do, we are to do our part. We're to do what God calls us to do. And forgiveness is a big one. Christians' middle name should be forgive. <laughs> forgive. That's who I am. Um, an example in my own life, I won't go into a lot of detail, but in our first uh, log camp, uh, with Mim, uh, I did something really stupid uh, through anger, and uh, it came about because I didn't do something that I should have done earlier, and uh, caused some harm. And I needed to apologize. And those that I did the wrong to, I wasn't able to, so I had to write a letter to them and apologize and ask their forgiveness. I had to put, take it out of my court and put it in theirs. I did what God called me to do. I was wrong. I apologize. Will you forgive me? They chose not to. It's been a number of years, six years at least, and they've chosen not to. I've never heard a word back from them. Uh, but this is what we're called to do. I did what I could to live in harmony, but they chose not to. But Christ is our example in power. 
He not only lived a life in total dependence of his father, he gives us the power to do what he asks, to as much as depend on us, live peaceably with all men. This power appropriated by faith is how the Father can do a good work in us. Philippians 1.6, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Again, it's a faith in his power. This is why it takes uh, so much of an understanding of our relationship with our Father and and the and the grace and truth and love that he treats us in that he has for us it takes that kind of power for us to do what isn't normal what goes against our grain what we fight against to love our enemies he asks us to live peaceably because he will empower us to be able to And he uses those against us to complete the work that he's doing in us. Uh, I've often told the students at BBI, you know, there's no maturity laying on the the couch studying the Bible. (laughs) Good thing to do. Or sitting at your desk. But uh, good thing to do. But maturity comes from living life. How does the word of God live out in my life as I go about life? And God brings in people that uh, don't want to live peaceably with you. And for the, again, it's not exactly what we want, but he allows it to mature us. How are we going to handle this? And I think of many, many times in my life that these kind of things come into my life and realizing that it caused more growth in my life each time, more maturity. Notice how Paul begins his exhortation with the word, Beloved, beloved. The commentator writes of this, he is about to teach one of the most advanced of Christian truths and one of the hardest for any person to learn. He softens his hearers, as it were, by pouring affection upon them before he delivers a difficult command. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves. What? Are we to act against all that is natural within us? Yes, we are to seek to act according to the supernatural life within us. The foremost trait of human nature is self-defense. Let someone thrust an object toward your face and your eyes closes immediately, by instinct. Let some object fall toward you and your arm rises to ward off the blow. We do not have to stop to think of these movements. Our reflexes are spontaneous, automatic. From childhood, our fallen sinful nature shows the same reflexes conditioned by what we are. Isaiah 53, 6. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Wanting one's own way is the most pronounced trait of the human race. It governs almost every action. And I end the quote quote there. It did in Adam, it did in Cain, and on through uh, all the Old Testament. We see it over and over again until finally in Luke chapter 19 and verse 14, 
But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, we will not have this man to reign over us. And finally in verse 15, they cried out, away with him, away with him, crucify him. But in Christ, the warfare against this nature of wanting one's own way begins. 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. And in living by faith in a slow and painful process, we are transformed into his image. Once again, if there is no growth, there is no life. So, another interesting uh, (laughs) uh, truth that can only be true in the Lord Jesus Christ. There is growth through death. (laughs) Growth through death by the Spirit. Romans 8 and verse 13. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. You will live. You live that abundant life that God promises us. Jesus never sought to avenge himself. Matthew 5.38 You have heard heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you not to resist an evil person. But whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. If anyone wants to sue you and take away your tunic, let him have your cloak also. And whoever compels you to go one mile... Go with him, too. It's interesting. I knew a man one time, and he was really working on his uh, growth. And he says a man hit him one time. And he says, and I turned the cheek, and he hit that cheek, too. He says, I ain't never doing that again. <laughs> the Lord did not say you don't protect yourself. He didn't say that. <laughs> but, but he was trying to do the right thing. But no one had ever heard words like these. They were used in relation to a nation. Vengeance belonged to him, but were never uh, God, but were never applied to the life of an individual in a personal way. Christ's death was was much more than he practiced what he preached. By his death, he would redeem men through pouring out his life's blood as a payment for sin. But by his death, he would also show the kind of life that he wished his redeemed ones to live. He, there was no, uh, this means no self-vindication, just like our Lord uh, didn't. Uh, Do not avenge yourselves. There are no loopholes in this. (laughs) Uh, This means that all objections are overruled. Instead, Proverbs 3, 5, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Our own understanding is what? For me, myself, and I. This isn't fun. This isn't feel good. I'm not going there. But trust in the Lord with all your heart and let him take control. Stand aside for wrath Give place to wrath, that scripture says. We are to stand by and let man's wrath work. We're told to endure patiently the wrath of the one who does wrong. And we are to love the evildoer. 
most of us know that when we've been around a while in ministry or in sharing the gospel, a lot of the times, just before someone trusts the Lord, trusts the Lord as Savior, what happens? They're angry. I won't believe that. I don't care what you say. <laughs> and that wrath is often directed at the person talking about Christ. And usually uh, it's because they're at that point. They don't want to surrender. That old nature doesn't. And yet they see the truth of the gospel. And so often it's at that point when someone comes to Christ or makes a decision to trust God in an area of his or her life. Let man's wrath do its work. We're told to endure patiently the wrath of the one who does wrong, to love the evildoer. He cannot hurt the heart where Jesus Christ is in charge. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but names will never hurt me. Has to be a quote from a Christian living by faith. We know as a lost person or a person that uh, God, we really haven't uh, have a heart understanding of God as our Father. Names do hurt. But when we're walking by faith, and we learn these things. I'm my loving father. I'm my loving father's precious child. Nothing you call me can take away from that. Names no longer hurt me. Because as a child of God, how can they? And that generally just makes people matter. <laughs> uh, I remember one time in my life in particular... Things were going on, and uh, the Lord had given me peace about it. I didn't know something was going to happen, and he had given me peace before it happened. And I was calm and at peace, and that really made the people that were against me mad. Oh, they got mad at that. Look at the pride. No, it wasn't pride. It was peace. I didn't even know it was coming. But the Lord beforehand Give me his peace and all was well here, but didn't, it wasn't with him. As we yield to his spirit, we will be attacked, but he has promised to protect our interests, if not in this life, at the judgment seat for sure. The commentator writes, having taught us that vengeance belongs to himself, God now tells us that we are to act in positive love toward our enemies. We know that he will protect all who are his own and that he will bring justice and truth to full light in his own time. That's so we can rest quietly and wait patiently for him to fulfill what he will surely bring to pass. So feeding your enemy, and we see next, verse 20, Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not overcome by e- do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Overflowing love, which leads to overcoming love. We have to remember that what comes out of a person is what has gone into him. Uh, people here, they have no peace. They have no true love. They, it, their hearts are filled with enemy, with uh, their enemies with God, their enemies with people. And uh, we have to realize that's just where they are. No peace, no love, that enemies. Self causes people to lie, to cheat, to slander. The only thing that can clean out an evil heart 
is love, who God, which God says he is love. When we behave as believers should, we heap, heap coals of fire upon the heads of our enemies. And coals of fire can be considered words of fire heaped upon us. Uh, Proverbs sixteen twenty seven: an ungodly man digs up evil, and it is on his lips like a burning fire. From the abundance of the heart of our enemy comes this anger, this fire, if you will. Our Lord accept this, accepted this without denial or complaint. Again, someone dependently, excuse me, completely dependent upon his father. No complaint, no denial. Um, he just went through what was given him. Either of two results may take place in the enemy. He may meld into repentance and come to faith in the Lord and truth, and this is God's desire, and this is what we need to keep in mind often when we're attacked. God doesn't want this person dead without him knowing Jesus Christ as Savior. You're going through this. Are you going to reveal me in you so that this person knows the reality of me and his need for me in his life? Our, our Lord, and this is, you know, in, in counseling and ministering with others, I, I bring this up quite often. You know, yes, this person has done a, a great harm, and oftentimes it's between husband and wife, unfortunately. But you're their greatest hope for change. When you love them despite what they're doing, they're going to, there's, that's their best hope to see Jesus in you. That's their best hope for change. And uh, I really believe that's what Ephesians 3, uh, 20, more than we can think or ask, God will do through us. And very important. And again, this is what we hope for our brother who we were strained from for 40 years. <laughs> and now he, when he... Uh, Signs off on the phone, he says, I love you. One thing is to say that to his sister, but he says it to his brother-in-law. <laughs> so, the other thing is they may harden this, their hearts, and uh, if they do, we're to do what? Do them good and pray for them. We read this story of David when he cut off the robe of Saul when Saul came to kill him, and David had the opportunity to kill him. And David showed him that I have the, had the opportunity. And, you know, David even felt bad about that. He didn't kill Saul, but just cutting his robe, David felt bad about that. And uh, Saul temporarily changed his heart and let David go. But eventually, as we know, hardened his heart against David. We are not to consider what others deserve to suffer, but what we are required to do. Now, it goes back on us. We're the winners. <laughs> Doesn't matter what goes through our lives, we're the winners. We come out on top. We win uh, in the end, regardless of what we have to endure down here. Uh, they're not. And... They need to know our Lord and his love in their life. 
As to the, what others do with our kindness, that's their business. That's up to them. That's no concern of ours. We have only to obey God and leave all events to him. In other words, we're always to keep that ball in the other court. We become a savor of death unto death to those who will not believe, Second Corinthians two fourteen through 16. Now thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ. And that's so very important. It may not feel like it. A lot of times it may not feel like it, but he always does. And uh, this is a hope in us that enables us to love those who hate us. And through us diffuses a fragrance of his knowledge in every place. For we are to God the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To the one we are the aroma of death leading to death and to the other the aroma of life leading to life. No wonder Paul adds, and who is sufficient for these things? For we are not as so many peddling the word of God, but as of sincerity but as from God, we speak in the sight of God in Christ. And we all know the time is coming when God will, Second Thessalonians 1, 7, and 8, and to give you who are troubled rest with us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. In flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not know God, and those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's where coming. Every enemy of ours, every one that does anything wrong to, our, to us outside of Christ, your day is coming. Your day is coming. We don't tell them that. We don't do that. You know, it's like, and I'm saying this facetiously, it's kind of sad because we'll be there seeing there and we we won't be able to, Aha, you got what you got coming. <laughs> no, it won't be there, will it? There'll be a sadness in our life that these people don't know the love and grace of our Lord the way we do. And we'll close there again. The most difficult uh, thing that God has given us but he also gives us the power to be able to do that, to love our enemies, no matter what they say, no matter what they do, to not seek vengeance, but to love them with Christ's love and let him work. Let's pray. Father, again, we're so thankful for who you are and uh, who we are in you, uh, that you're our Father not only the biggest father on the block, but the, in the whole world, the most powerful, the strongest. And primarily your strength in, in people's lives is your love. And Father, it's what gets us through life, knowing that you are our Father and love us perfectly. And Father, it's your love that enables us to do what goes against our very nature and that is to love those who are our enemies, who hate us, who have done wrong to us. Um, Father, we thank you for that. We thank you that uh, you can use us to show others their need for Jesus Christ. And Father, again, 
may as we go into this new year, may this be uppermost on our minds. Uh, Father, there's a lot of evil, how rampant and open it is now in our country. And our thoughts go to revenge, and yet our hearts have to go towards realizing these people's need for Jesus Christ and the reality and understanding of your grace in their lives. And Father, always always that we are part of the answer. And uh, Father, just use us to glorify you. We thank you for the week ahead. Again, we pray for those that are ill and going through rough times. Father, as we praise you in your wonderful name, amen. Thank you, Pastor Walgast. As we close our service, I'd like you to stand, and we're going to be singing number 99, Angels from the Realms of Glory. And we'll be singing the first three stanzas.